Greetings, and welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I'm your host, Jenny Sisler, coming to you tonight, uh, Monday, August 22nd, 2022, from a very damp, but not damp enough, Sunderland, Massachusetts. We finally had a day where it rained pretty hard most of the day, but of course, with the months-long drought that we've been in, we need quite a few more days between now and the end of the year to try to make up for the for the water deficit. Um, but it just felt good to see the rain. Even though it made my shoulder hurt a little bit, I'm willing to uh, deal with that if it means that the farmers around here can get some water on their crops. Um, so tonight, we're gonna talk about a very interesting creature that is both absolutely beautiful and the stuff of nightmares, depending upon which particular part of its life cycle you're talking about. And that creature is the Blackburn's Sphinx Moth. Um, so you're probably wondering what made you choose a moth for tonight's podcast? Well, it piqued my interest last week when I heard that there was an Atlas Moth sighting in Bellevue, Washington. Now, Beside the fact that the person who found this was probably freaking out because of its size, um, atlas moths are among one of the largest moth species on Earth. Uh, they can have a wingspan of 12 inches. So I'm sure whoever found it was freaking out just by the size of it. Um, but also it made national news because atlas moths do not, they're not endemic to North America. They live in tropical climates. So it was really a head scratcher because how did this end up hanging on the wall of this person's house? Well, my theory on that, and it's probably the most likely and most obvious answer, is that it probably escaped Butterfly Conservatory. And I say that because we have a Butterfly Conservatory in South Deerfield, which is the next little town over from us, and they have Atlas Moths. Um, I've seen them in person and they could, I could see where you would be intimidated by them if you didn't know what they were. They are massive, but the sad truth about the Atlas Moth is after it emerges from its chrysalis, it only lives five to seven days because it is one of the species of moths along with Hercules moths and Luna moths um, that are born without mouth parts. So basically what that means is that the longest part of the Atlas Moth's life cycle is its caterpillar stage. And they can live as caterpillars for up to three months. And all the eating they do as caterpillars is all the eating they're gonna do their entire lives because when they spin their cocoon and they emerge as the Atlas Moth, they don't have mouth parts. It's their, their sole purpose in life at that point is to mate. They're kind of like cicadas in that way, I guess, because they, you know, they pupate and they emerge and they mate and they die. So, you know, it's kind of a sad, it's kind of a sad creature when you think about it. But of course, hearing about that on the news rekindled my interest in moths. Um, I've had one for quite some time. Um, I'll just briefly mention this because it's, it's kind of interesting. The first encounter with a rare moth, well, not a rare moth, but one that I had never seen before was at a local greenhouse years ago and I was just looking at flowers and I looked down and I saw this thing that I could only describe as it was the color of a bumblebee, but it was furry looking 
and it had wings that were translucent and it was hovering above the flowers and I had never seen anything and I was like what in the world is that and so when I got home I brought up trusty Google and I'm looking and it turns out that I encountered a hummingbird hawk moth and some moths one of their characteristics is they can hover like a hummingbird and it was the most fascinating thing I had ever seen at the greenhouse you know you see bees you see all kinds of critters but you you know I had never seen a hummingbird hawk moth at that point so I, I kind of developed an interest in moths at that particular point and then flash forward a couple years and my husband and I were on vacation in Ocean City Maryland with my in-laws and one night we were going out to do something and I looked and there was this moth hanging on the side of the building and I had no clue what it was yet again. I was like, well, I know it's a moth and that's about as far as it goes. It was beautiful. It had a very stocky body, again, furry. Uh, the wings were kind of shaped like an airplane wing because they, were they weren't you know, strictly triangular or anything. They were more shaped like a delta, kind of looked aerodynamic. But what struck me was the colors of this moth. It was all kinds of different shades of green and beige and white so I nicknamed it army strong because it did look like army camouflage and of course this was back before I had an iPhone anything like that so it wasn't like I could stand there and google it while I was looking at it so I took some photos and I brought them home and I was trying to do the same you know google and find out what it was well the only thing I could come up with was an oleander hawk moth which it absolutely was not because those are endemic to North Africa and the Middle East. And it's like, no, there's no way, even as an invasive species, a caterpillar could make it from, say, Morocco or Israel or, you know, someplace like that all the way across the ocean and survive long enough to spawn up a, a moth. So I knew it wasn't that, but I couldn't find, because at this point I had no idea what, that it was a sphinx moth, so I didn't know how to narrow down my search. And I finally found this website this man had put together that who was um, very passionate about butterflies and moths. And I sent him the picture and I said, can you help me? I know this isn't an oleander hawk moth, but I cannot figure out for the life of me what it is. And a couple of days later, he emailed me back and he said, you're absolutely right. It is not an oleander hawk. It's actually a Pandora sphinx. And he sent me a picture of both species and I could see where there was the difference it was the shapes of the shape of the wings and the coloration and the thorax on the Pandora Sphinx was a little smaller the body was a little smaller than the oleander so that really that really was the beginning of my fascination with moths and then uh, I guess it was maybe 2014 um, after the office buildings at the football stadium were built. One night I was out in a night practice and I saw another sphinx moth. I'm not sure exactly what species it was. Um, I never could really identify it. I want to say it was an Ackman sphinx, but I'm not sure. Um, but you know, when you, when you see things like that in nature and you encounter them for the first time, it really awakens this sense of curiosity. Um, and I think in general, society tends to think that 
moths are creepy because they're associated with nighttime and you know of course movies like silence of the lambs where the bad guy's putting death head moths in the mouths of the women he's killing of course that doesn't make people actually like moths any better but i think moths really do get a bad rap for being creepy now that being said some of their larvae is the stuff of nightmares um the one that i'm thinking of that i've seen pictures of online and i hope to god i never encounter it in the real world is the saddleback moth the caterpillar now first of all the caterpillar does everything it can to tell you to stay the hell away it's got bristles it's bright colored it's you know so if you touch it it's on you but the saddleback caterpillar can actually make you really sick it can give you hives it can give you stomach cramps it can give you fevers i mean so but you know it looks like the stuff of nightmares so if you're going to be touching it you kind of get what you get um but yes i am very fascinated by all kinds of moths um i do hope someday to see a luna moth at our conservatory i know they have them but like the atlas they only live for about a week so because of that um they you know, they're very hard to catch you've got to catch them at exactly the right time so my grail moth at the conservatory is seeing a um seeing a luna not sure if i ever will but that would be beautiful that would be absolutely amazing so anyway that's a little bit that's a little bit about my personal fascination with moths um and of course i guess it begs the question just the general question before we get into the blackburn sphinx is what makes a moth different from a butterfly <sighs> technically they're not too terribly different there are a few there are a few uh differences but primarily of course moths are nocturnal for the most part and butterflies are diurnal fly during the day for the most part the colors of moths are more muted than butterflies um, but that's not always the case there are some very very vivid moths so not really too terribly much different where the differences come in um, as i mentioned moths are furry looking butterflies aren't um, and the big difference is the antenna. Uh, moths' antenna look like feathers, and you know, butterfly antennas kind of almost look like an afterthought. Um, and the only other difference, is, the only other big difference, is that a moth, when it is resting, will um, rest with its wings open, and a butterfly will rest with its wings folded up over its thorax but um more or less technically speaking there aren't too terribly many differences so i just decided well i'm going to google endangered moth species and when i saw blackburn's sphinx moth of course my love of sphinx moths i was like okay i've got to learn a little bit more about this um and it's actually really fascinating um Oh, but let me, uh, 
Let me just tell you one other thing about a sphinx moth while I'm thinking about it. They um, have a proboscis that can be up to 11 inches long uh, so that they can get down into deep tube flowers. They like tube-shaped flowers um, to really be able to get into the nectar. And like I said, some sphinx moths are able to hover in flight and sometimes they're mistaken for hummingbirds. Although I don't think there's any way you could ever mistake a hummingbird hog moth or a sphinx moth for an actual hummingbird. But I suppose at some point someone did. Okay, now, pardon my uh, little ramble there. The um, Blackburn sphinx moth is endemic to Hawaii. And it actually turns out that it was believed to be extinct in the 70s because the specific types of nightshade that they feed on were in decline due to deforestation and loss of habitat. So they were believed to be completely extinct, but then in 1984, there were a few of them that were rediscovered on the island of Hawaii. So they were brought, it, the species was uh, brought back but the problem is still habitat loss, um, ranching, deforestation, um, native, uh, non-native species taking over, uh, those sorts of things have caused the IUCN to put the Blackburn Sphinx moth on the red list. Um, they are the state of Hawaii's largest insect. Um, they have a wingspan of five inches, which is a moderate size for a moth. It's not nearly as big as an atlas, of course, but it's a fairly decent-sized moth. Now, I have no idea how to pronounce this, and I don't want to be disrespectful to native Hawaiians, but there's a type of tree, and it's spelled A-I-E-A, -E and I don't want to mispronounce that and be rude about it, so... Um, that is a tree that is endemic only to Hawaii, and it is the Blackburn Sphinx moth's uh, main food source. And uh, it remains so until timber cutting, deforestation for ranching, and, you know, clear cutting forests uh, destroyed the trees. The species um, of tree that the Blackburn Sphinx fed on. Uh, now, there are, well, it would help if I could read my notes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there are species of this particular tree that live in dry forests, which is where the Blackburn Sphinx moth is found, and then also in more tropical, quote-unquote, wet forests. But the Blackburn Sphinxes live in the dry forests, and in the dry forest, that particular tree is almost extinct itself. Um, so, was there any hope for the Blackburn Sphinx? Well, actually, yes. And this is where it gets a little sticky in trying to protect the Blackburn Sphinx moth. Um, tree tobacco is a non-native plant that was introduced to Hawaii in the 1890s. And ever since then, it's been considered an invasive species. It's practically the kudzu of Hawaii. It takes off like a shot and takes over everything, chokes out native plants. It's really a bad thing to have, except for the fact that blackbird sphinx moths eat tree tobacco. 
So they have adapted since the tree, their tree of choice has long been gone. They've adapted to be able to eat tree tobacco. But the problem is because it's an invasive species, Hawaiians want to get rid of it. And the only problem is at this particular point, if you get rid of tree tobacco, you're also getting rid of the Blackburn Sphinx moth. So in the beginning, when volunteers were trying to protect the, sphinx, uh, the Blackburn Sphinx caterpillars, they thought they could just move them and relocate them to other uh, plants. But, and here's where the stuff of nightmares in the caterpillar phase comes into it, um, Blackburn Sphinx moths have very distinctive ways they protect themselves from predators. Um, a Blackburn Sphinx moth caterpillar is between seven to eight inches long. And when you try to pick one up, they will whip their tail because they have a horn. Sphinx, moths, uh, cata Sphinx moth caterpillars are commonly called hornworms because they have a hook on their tail. Um, a Blackburn Sphinx moth will try to jab you with its tail. It will try to bite you. And another thing that the volunteers who were trying to relocate the caterpillars found in a very disgusting display, a blackbird sphinx moth will puke on you. It basically regurgitates its insides on its, on its predator and it's very disgusting and stinky and it sticks to the predator. I mean, I guess if you're trying to save your own life, puking on your enemy makes sense. But uh, so they found very quickly that they were not going to be able to just pick these caterpillars off the tree tobacco and relocate them other places. Um, yeah, I, it, see, like I said, larva, the larval stage of moths and butterflies can be the stuff of nightmares. Um, so right now, the one major threat to the small population of sphinx moths is that they, the um, building of the Daniel K. Inouye Highway could disturb vast swaths of tree tobacco. So, you know, the question is, how do you balance the fact that you have an endangered species that feeds on a nuisance plant that is considered an invasive species? Um, it's a delicate balance, and I'm sure that it's one that over the course of the next few years, um, you know, volunteers and uh, agricultural experts in Hawaii will be trying to figure out. Right now, it's just trying to determine the best balance of how, where you can allow the tree tobacco to take over. Um, and there's really no easy solution to this. So, as you see, sometimes conservation is cut and dried. Most of the times it's not. And for the Blackburn, Blackburn Sphinx moth, it is definitely not cut and dried. Um, but I sincerely hope that in the coming months and years, Hawaiians will be able to figure out how to rescue these moths because they are beautiful. They play a very important part in the ecosystem. Moths and uh, creatures like them are important to keeping insect populations at bay. Uh, nuisance insects and well they're just really cool I don't know how else to say it they're just these moths are very cool and they're nothing to be scared of 
there and nothing to unless you get puked on by a blackburn sphinx moth caterpillar then i guess yeah i could see where you'd be a little bit wigged out by that um but before i sign off i just wanted to uh, mention i'm going to be changing a couple of things up with the way i do my podcasts i've been trying to post my resource links um, on SoundCloud and that has not worked very well in my favor yet so what I'm going to do is I'm going to post my resource links on my blog every time I do a post and then that way if you wish to learn more uh, about whatever it is I'm discussing on the certain episode um, then you can have some information at your fingertips um, the resources that I have for tonight's podcast include a butterfly and moth conservation link for Great Britain, um, and one for Australia, one for North America, along with the links to the articles that I read for my research. So I think that's going to make better sense, and it will make that information available to how many other listeners I have. Um, and also, I'm going to start putting a small little synopsis in my show notes. I don't know why I wasn't doing that before, but moving forward, I will be. So I think I'm just going to leave this here. And I hope that if you find moths fascinating, you'll be able to see some of these amazing creatures um, in the wild like I have. And if you have a chance to get to a butterfly conservatory, do it. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, just the number of different kinds of butterflies and moths and it's just fabulous. So if you absolutely, if, if you have the chance to see these creatures up close and personal, take it. And as always, I wish you a good week. And until next time, remember you can be a voice for the voiceless.